0: Thank you, Jesus. Amen, Lord. We are sinful people. Your word shows us that very clearly. But those that love you came to you freely and openly. And we came just as we are. Because if we tried to straighten ourselves out and then come to you, we'd never make it. That's why you said, come as you are. Lord, do we do come. We come as we are, sinners, saved by grace, through faith, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his work and his accomplishments on the cross for all men that choose to accept it. Paul clearly told the church in Rome that as many as received Christ, To them, he gave you the right to become a child of God. (laughs) We're children of God. What an honor, Father. Thank you. Thank you. We loved our earthly fathers, most of us. But to have you, our heavenly Father, is an honor and a privilege that we don't deserve. And we thank you. Yes. Accept our worship here today, Lord. Lay it rise up as a sweet-smelling incense and aroma before you. That those here at Freedom Church and those on the Internet that are listening love you. Yes, Lord. We fell in love with you years ago. And we're trying to maintain that honeymoon love that we always had with you at the very beginning. So take us back, Lord, to that honeymoon place. When we met you for the first time, where our faith was strong. And we thank you, Lord, for we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to be strong here today as we listen to your word, as we see a little bit more clearly through the message in Matthew 8 and 9 that clearly show. Who Jesus really is and to you be the glory for it in the name of Jesus Christ we pray father amen and amen you may be seated in church we're glad everybody's here we're glad you're on those of you online um, we're glad you're here to you know uh, worship the Lord and learn of him together for those online I just want to remind you they just tuned in um, we're Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're in Palm Beach, Florida, actually the city of Lantana, just uh, on High Road. If you're on I-95 and you're local, you just come a quarter mile west on High Road on the north side of the road, and Freedom Church sits right there. And we're a strong Bible-believing church who believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven because the Bible says so. And... Um, and we're we're followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here, so if you're local, come on by and see us, twenty eight ten High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. And um, if you're online, you can go to our website, check us out. You might be in another country, um, you might be in the United States. Um, you know where you can go online, find out all about us. Uh, it's all about Jesus and Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. Here and, and the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. So, um, you can check us out, find out what we believe in. You can go online, listen to many messages from the past. You can um, check out our ministries. You can also um, donate online should you be led by the Holy Spirit. But as I, I've been encouraging the church, and because of this indignation that's going through the land, you know, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but you can slow it down by not supporting your church that you belong to or giving special gifts and offerings to, to wherever you else you might hear and learn the gospel. And if we're one of those, you can just um, go online, give Lifey Button, and uh, or you can ins- mail your check-in, or um, you can, um, if you're here, there's boxes in the back because we've never taken uh, a... Uh, an offering plate pass, never. And uh, we've been here for eight almost eight years. And come August we'll be here eight years. Do you believe that? And we've been a church for like almost ten. So God's supporting us. Unless unless the God build the church, we labor in vain. So God has been doing it and I thank him and I thank you for being part of it. I'm so glad that our lives have crossed in this journey. You realize if I never accepted the Lord or you never accepted the Lord, we wouldn't even know each other. We wouldn't even know each other. It's all because of Jesus. Everything's about him. Praise the Lord. And I believe me, I met some beautiful, godly people over my life that I still pray for in, in my early years of, uh, of uh, Christianity. I still pray for those ones that I know that are alive. You know, and I thank God for those that were, uh, were discipled me and are gone. You know, just just people we would have never ran into had we not received Christ Jesus. He's our common bond. So praise the Lord. Um, that's it. Uh, for anybody else online that you just tuned in, um, you can go to, where, well, let's say put it this way. Go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org. freedomchurchpb, stands for Palm palmbeach.org. Okay, you can uh, do these things online. Uh, what I mentioned to you uh, about giving, about listening to messages, and learning about about us, you can also find out that we're online every Sunday at 10 a.m. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. and we're online every Thursday night at 7:15 p.m. 7:15 p.m. So if you're if you want to, you know, tune in and you can uh, listen to our messages. Um, we've been studying an expositional study right now on Sundays through the book of Matthew, and we've been really digging in. This is like the fifth, maybe even the sixth uh, message in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, maybe even, maybe even six. and we we still got, I think, a couple more. So we're really digging in. And we're told to study the Word of God and show ourselves approved. We're not just supposed to hear it. We're supposed to study it. We're supposed to eat it, as Jeremiah said. Your words were found, and I did eat them, and they became the joy and the delight of my heart. You know, that's what Jeremiah felt about the Word of God. We're going back thousands of years, right? So he felt the same way you do today. The Word of God is the joy of your heart. And, um, you know, if you don't have that joy, you need to re-seek it here now and grab it once again. We're in Matthew chapter uh, 9 right now, if you want to get your Bibles out. I'm reading here from the New King James Version of the Bible. But I do want to reiterate, we've been studying through Matthew chapter 8, chapter 9, and we've been seeing all the miracles that Jesus has been doing. There are 12 miracles in these two chapters, and if I dug in deeper, I could find you more to tell you who Jesus is as He ministers to the people. Well, we're going to just we're going to look real quick i've been i've been taking the miracles that jesus did and showing you how he is uh, god in the flesh or the messiah of israel i told you miracles are supernatural activities that demonstrate or reveal a spiritual truth so as jesus was healing these people you know and 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 as he was healing these people he was demonstrating or IDing himself as the Messiah of Israel, because who else could do these things? And the Messiah uh, to come was prophesied about doing, doing these things. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 61, 1 through 3, and several other places in, in the Bible. So when Jesus healed the leper in chapter 8, you know, he was demonstrating he's Jehovah Rapha, the, our healer. Jehovah Rophe, our healer. When he when he healed the centurion's servant, and wasn't even present in the house, he is demonstrating that he is Jehovah Shammah, which means the God is there. God, Jesus, the Lord, wasn't even in the house, but he, he was there in the home of the centurion's servant, who 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 uh, came back or you know was was risen, has been um, healed. So so how can he do that? He's out on the road, and and over here, I don't know exactly how far it is, but, you know, he's healing that centurion servant. Who is it? God is there, Jehovah Shammah. And Peter's mother-in-law, he demonstrates himself as Jehovah Nisi. He's our banner. He was her banner of victory over over a simple fever that was actually very high fever, according to Luke. Well, he also, when he cast out demons... He, he healed the sick and and cast out demons he was demonstrating he is is jehovah Rapha our 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 shepherd when he healed the or calmed the sea and the waves he was demonstrating who he was jehovah shalom peace he brought peace to a violent storm where i think five of the twelve apostles were fishermen he, he calmed the sea with just a word. Hush, be still. And the sea calmed. And the disciples are sitting there like, Who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obey him. When he gets to the other side of the land, there's a demoniac comes running out, actually two, well, his name was Legion. And he, he told the disciples who this was because he cried out, You, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. The disciples didn't know it. Maybe you don't know it, but the demons knew it. How do you explain that? You know, except that they were angels at one time. And they knew Jesus. And Jesus commanded them to keep it quiet. To keep it quiet. And he cast them out. He's demonstrating that he is Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. This guy was loaded with demons. A legion in the Roman army is 6,000. Other armies, it may be 2,000, but in the Roman army, it was 6,000. He sanctified them. He cleaned them all up so that the demons couldn't even heal or touch them anymore. He's our sanctifier, Jehovah Makedesh. We saw him as forgive sins last week. He identifies himself as our righteousness. He said to the, the paralyzed man that was lowered through the roof, Your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God? He is His righteousness. Even while that was happening, the scribes are there going, like this guy, is he's blaspheming. He's acting like God. He's forgiven sins on earth. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And He's he's identifying Himself there as Jehovah El Roy, which the Lord who sees, He saw right into their hearts, even though it wasn't even mentioned. This is Jehovah Shalom. This is Jehovah Nisi. This is Jehovah Rohi. This is Jehovah uh, Mekedesh in demonstration. Today, well, let's see. Today, we're going to see him differently as we move on, but I'm, it's going to be like the second part of our message. Jesus is doing these things so that you and I would know that he is the Messiah. Because a miracle is a supernatural activity that demonstrates or reveals a spiritual truth. And what these healings do and these casting out of demons do, this is telling you, identifying who Jesus is. The the scribes didn't get it. Who do you think you are? You can forgive sins. And then Jesus told them, hey, after he revealed to them their, their heart, that he didn't even mention it. They didn't mention it. He knew their heart. And he said, he said, So that you would know that the Son of Man has power and authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why I said that. Why didn't he just say, take up your bed and walk? Because he wanted the scribes, the Pharisees, and you and me to know who he is, and that he is Jehovah El Roy, who can see into the hearts of men. So today, we're gonna. I'm gonna read some passages to you. Matthew chapter nine, nine verse nine through uh, twenty. Twenty-two. Just so we get a picture. I showed you last week, Jesus is multitasking here. He healed the centurion's servant. And meanwhile, a lady with the issue of blood came up to him. And he's like working on two things at the same time. So here's here's about this this lady. We're going to learn this in the second part of this message. But verse 9 says this, And Jesus passed on from there... And he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax office. Matthew is the Matthew that we're reading from his gospel right now. Just so you know that, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax office, and he said to him, "Follow me." So he arose and followed him. Notice right there, he didn't he didn't hesitate one bit. Matthew closed up his office and followed Jesus, and we never see him as far as we know, ever go back, except for the party that's going to come up, the dinner that's going to come up. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn this. See, these scribes and Pharisees have, have missed it. And he's telling them, Go and learn this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, you make you make when you see that, you're thinking like, Well, Jesus is calling them like they're, like they're righteous. But meanwhile, he's pointing out their sin to them. He's pointing out their sin. Go and learn this. Where's your mercy? Where's your compassion? That's what he's telling them. He's rebuking them. You're sinners too, is what he's saying. you got to dig into that and see it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, I don't care about your your offering a lamb or a goat or a pigeon or a dove. I desire mercy and compassion. And that's how Jesus is healing all these people out of mercy and compassion. What is required of you, O man, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before the Lord? And this was a rebuke to the scribes and Pharisees. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn while as long as the bridegroom is with them? He's telling them right here, I'm the Messiah. They don't get it. They don't care to get it. They just want to, you know, get rid of Jesus, because he was affecting their pocketbooks. People were following Jesus, and, and they were walking away from the temple, just like, you know, that, that's, what, that's what the outer court of the temple was for! So people could come into the temple and learn of Jehovah and, and the, the Messiah of Israel, and instead they were ripping them off, selling them, selling them making them, they made a marketplace out of it. They, he, they were messed up, and Jesus was telling them in a, in a roundabout way, how can you mourn when the bridegroom or the Messiah is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. He's talking about him being crucified here, and then they will fast. And I hope you guys today are fasting. I know people to fast at least once a week. I hope you're fasting. And if you're not, it's a little weakness in the church. Fasting is very important. You know, you can read Isaiah chapter fifty-eight. There's a bunch of things in there that God will do for you. I. I went as high as like 30 things that God will do if you fast, fast in the right way. You fast, you don't tell anybody. You don't say, Pastor Joe, I'm doing a Daniel fast all day, you know, in January. No, no, no. It's between you and God, between you and God. They will f- Then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or for the patch will pour away from the garment, and the tear will become worse. Nor do they put a new wine into an old wineskin, else new wineskins break, else the wineskins will break, and the wine spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, and they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, Your old covenant is about to pass away. You better be ready to accept the new covenant, because if you don't, it will burst your old covenant. It'll burst your wineskin. So, he's saying you put new wine into a new wineskin. This is the New Testament, the new covenant that Jesus is issuing in, into, the, into mankind today. They didn't understand it one bit because Jesus spoke in parables and he just under, they just didn't understand him because they were the kind of people that were religious, legalistic, you know, and they just didn't see the spiritual end of things, what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus, you know, God's Word is spirit, and it's truth. We worship Him in spirit and truth. Verse 18, while He spoke to them, a ruler came and worshiped Him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed Him, and so did His disciples, and suddenly a woman. Here's the multitask. We learned about this, this, uh, this centurion last week. Now we're going to talk about this woman here for a while. Then suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that very moment. And then Jesus goes, goes uh, uh, to the ruler's house, okay? So here, here we are. Jesus just passed on from there in verse 9, and he saw a man named Matthew, now Matthew who wrote this gospel, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. There was no doubt. How, why did he do this? He, he immediately responded. He left his tax office. This guy is wealthy. Matthew is very wealthy. He's a traitor as far as the Jews were concerned. He's a traitor. He immediately left his office. You know what? Because he heard about, he must have heard about Jesus. You know, he, he didn't mistrust Jesus. Jesus said, follow him. He didn't say, ah, let me go bury my dad. No, no. He said, remember we learned that last chapter? They wanted to follow him, and he said, they said, no, no, we are going to go bury my dad first. In other words, I want my inheritance before I follow you. Listen, there's no mistrust here. He left this tax office being wealthy and just left it all alone. We never see him, as far as I know, go back into the tax office. He's, he's been following Jesus from the very, very beginning. There's no mistrust on his part. He's quick to respond i have obviously heard about Jesus. He probably is pondering his life and how all his friends turned against him and they didn't care for him anymore, didn't want any, any part of him because he was a traitor, and now he's working for Rome, collecting tax money. So that And, and they were allowed to collect so much. Rome had a quota that they would get you know, so much from a different person or a different area, and anything that he made over that or got over that, he could keep for his own self. You remember Zacchaeus, remember, he was wealthy too, being a tax collector, rejected. Here, Jesus is saying, the most important person walking on the face of the earth this day, he says to Jesus, come and follow me. You know, the most important person in history, in the world today, is calling mankind to him, and they say, I'm going to stay in my, my home. Very few respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet Jesus said that the, the, the harvest is ripe. It's ready. It's, the harvest is ready. We need to go get it. And this indignation, that I'm, I'm rampant about it because it has slowed down the gospel and I want to get raptured out of here quicker. And we need to put our value where our values belong in the kingdom of heaven. You store up your treasures down here, you can't You can't take them with you when you're gone. You store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust is not corrupted. This is what Matthew is doing here. This is what we need to do. That doesn't mean you could go home now and give all your money away. It's just Jesus is first. God is first in your life. He's labeled a traitor. His friends probably abandoned him, and he needs a friend. And he knows that this guy... Jesus is obviously someone that different, someone that's going to love Him for who He is and not what He does. He probably weighed the cost of following Jesus real quickly. I don't care about this gold and silver. I'm going to follow Him. He's healing people. Dead people are being raised. Blinder people are seeing. Lepers are being healed. He may have even hated his job as he took it from the Rome. He was sorrowful for his choice, and he said, I want to get out of this, and he did. We don't see any indication in the Bible that Rome came after him, either. They just put another person in there to collect. Verse 10, Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table, uh, that tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Here, Jesus. If you, if you went to Luke, verse chapter 5, I'm going to go there and read it for you. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things went out and saw tax collectors named Levi. Now, Levi is Matthew, right? sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all and rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own home. So this feast was in Matthew's home, and because he was a tax collector, all the the sinners came to him. All the tax collectors and the sinners. Matthew was having a dinner for Jesus in his home. He was wealthy. He was wealthy. The Bible tells you this home is Matthew's home. And and what happened is he didn't have any Jewish friends, unless they were sinners, Jewish friends, because he was a traitor. His friends were, were tax collectors, and they were sinners. They were not a Jewish. They were Gentile, maybe even, maybe most of them. So, the sin, you know, notice that the sinners were open to Jesus' message. The sinners are open to Jesus' message. The scribes and the Pharisees are looking for a way, even at this point, to get rid of Jesus. But the sinners and the tax collectors, they are attracted to Jesus. But he did rebuke them, as I showed you earlier, He said, go and learn this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You can sacrifice all the bulls, the goats, the lambs that you want to. I don't desire that. I desire mercy. And Hosea, that's how Hosea 6.6 is what he's quoting here. If you go to Isaiah 6.8, it says, what is required of you, O man, is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And these guys were not humble. They did not walk justly, and they certainly didn't have a mercy. Because if I saw a lame man being lowed through a ceiling, and, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and go, and he walks out of there, I wouldn't be, I would be saying, praise God. I hope I would be saying that. Praise God. Who is this guy? He must be the Messiah. Who else has done these things? Pharisees were not open to Jesus' message. They were always looking for grants to discredit Christ. But the tax collectors, the Gentiles, they were out to see Christ, came out to see Christ in the New Testament all the way through. It was called jealousy. They were jealous of Jesus. The crowd was following them. You know what? That that shorted out the Pharisees and the scribes' pocketbooks. You want to affect somebody, hit their pocketbook. And that's what they were doing. Jesus was doing not on purpose. He was just telling the truth. Who is who has arrived here? And it's called jealousy. If you went to um, synonyms for jealousy, it actually says hatred. It actually says animosity, spitefulness, envy, maliciousness, and resentment. As they were, they were spiteful. They were envious. They resented him. They they literally hated him. I looked up synonyms for for uh, for uh, that word jealousy. It says green eyed monster. I'm saying green eyed monster. What is that? So I looked it up. <laughs> you know it goes. There was evidently some kind of book around, that said, or some person that did this. The green eyed monster visited her every time she went to visit her wealthy sister. It's like you know what that green eyed monster is. It's a demon. It's a demon that wants to make you hate instead of love. If a green-eyed monster. What does that have to do with jealousy? Well, it's a monster. That's a devil that makes you be jealous of somebody. It's a painful awareness of another person's possessions or even their position or even their love that they have for fellow human beings it's a painful awareness of another's possessions or position or love the bible calls that charity jesus came to save sinners not the righteous jesus did point out their sins to them i desire mercy he said he isn't saying i always thought like well this is a This is a positive note for the scribes and Pharisees. They're righteous. But no, Jesus, as you study this, He's rebuking them. He's rebuking them. You don't have mercy. You don't do justly. We know from the Scriptures, as Paul wrote, but God demonstrated His love toward us. Even while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's a holy God in front of a bunch of sinful people. You know what? Doesn't that show you how much He loves you? No matter how bad you are, no how how sinful you are, God loves you. He loves you so much He wishes that none would perish, and every single person on the face of the earth, past, present, and future, would be saved. But they, many, aren't. Jesus told us that that uh, in Matthew that the way is narrow gate is narrow that leads to life, but the way is broad and the path is wide that leads to destruction. That's a shame. Very few people make it into the kingdom. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus was here. That's what he's trying to say to them. How are you going to get the attention of a bunch of sinners? By bringing healing. By doing these miracles and you can't, people get, you know, attracted to those miracles quite rapidly. I tell everybody if 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 there's a blind person in our church and I lay my hands on him, or anybody, any elder, deacon lays their hand on them, and that person is healed immediately of their blindness while here, this church will be packed next week. You know why? But they're coming to church for all the wrong reasons. You aren't coming because of what God can do for you. You come to God because of who He is. He's God. Now, we're, you're going to always want something. I always want something from God. You probably do, too. Matthew nine, twelve through 13. We just read it. Jesus heard that. He said to them, Those of you who, are, who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but then he goes in the next verse, but go and learn this. What this means, I desire mercy instead of sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, you're all sinners, you scribes and Pharisees. You, you, don't, you have no mercy. You have no compassion. You have no love. I said it many times for the pulpit. If you want to be a Bible teacher or a preacher, you better have compassion at least a little bit of compassion. If you don't, what good is your teaching? People out there understand that your teaching is just black ink on white paper. Verses 11 and 12. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his his disciples, why does your teacher eat uh, with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, He said to them, Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick." Here's why he's saying this, verse 13, But go and learn what this means. For I did not come to call the sinners to repentance. Not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As I mentioned to you, what Jesus is quoting here is Hosea 6.6. 6. Here's what 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says. This is where Saul didn't listen to what God had to say, and Samuel had to rebuke him. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings? Because Saul you know, wiped out the Amalekites, all but the king, okay? He wiped out the Amalekites. And he was told to kill all, everything. Everything was to be killed. Because, you know know who killed Saul? He didn't obey that command. He kept King Agag, who was the the king of the Amalekites, okay? And he kept the good sheep and oxen for sacrifice to the Lord. You know who killed Saul? It was an Amalekite. If he would have just wiped out the Amalekites, he might have lived longer. He disobeyed. He didn't do it. Here's what that says, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings? That's another repeat of Hosea 6, 6 through 8. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. I desire obedience rather than sacrifice of ram's fat. what the pharisees missed is that their religious their religion makes you makes them exalt themselves and their self righteousness they consider since they're self righteous you are defiled by t- participating with a sinner or a tax collector I hope when we're around sinners and tax collectors and we know who they are, that we're preaching the gospel to them. That's what Jesus desires, to teach them how to obey the Lord and to come to him and to realize who, is, who, it, is, who it is that's talking to them right now. And he told them straight out, and in a nice way, you too are sinners. Jesus knew the letter of the law, but the Jews—I'm sorry—the Jews knew the letter of the law, but they did not know the heart of the law. You have to know the heart of God. You have to know the heart of the law. God wants nobody to perish, not even tax collectors, not even sinners, no, not even if you're black or white or red or purple or green. He don't care what nationality you are. You can be—you can be German or English or American, He doesn't care. He wants all to be saved. They missed the heart of God, and that's the heart of God today. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants that drunken bum on the street corner living under a bridge, He wants him saved. But we look at it, and they go, oh boy, we've had homeless people walk into this church, and I watch some of the people jump and stay away from them. First thing you should do is go to them. Lay your hands on them and pray for them. You have the power of God. They don't have the power to come through you into you. You think, well, they're demon-possessed. That demon's going to take me No, Jesus defeated the demons at the cross. He made an open spectacle of him. You tell him that when he attacks you. You leave me alone. You're a defeated foe. Jesus conquered you through His death. He conquered death. Go away. Get out of here. That's what we have to have bold. The, the righteous are supposed to be bold as a lion. And we need to be bold as a lion. When God speaks in His Word, it's truth. He didn't lie to you. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. God wants no one to perish. Here's what 2 Corinthians 7 9 through 10 says, and I love this verse. I love these verses. Here's Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. That's what God wants to hear. You know, you're, God doesn't want you to be sorrow, sorrowful. He wants you to be sorrowful, but sorrowful to the point of repentance. Judas wasn't sorrowful to the point of repentance. Peter was sorrowful to the point of repentance, wasn't he? There's a difference, and that difference is the difference between heaven and hell. Let me read the rest of that. Now I rejoice, not that you are made sorry. I want you all to be sorry for what we did to Jesus, but that sorrow should lead you to repentance, which means turn away, turn around, go around in another another direction, turn 180 degrees, do an about-face. And the verse continues, For you were made sorry in a godly manner. God made you sorry in a godly manner. And what's the manner? That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. God don't want you to suffer any loss. For the godly sorrow, for godly sorrow produces repentance and it leads to salvation. So if you're sorrowful and you repent and turn around and go the other way, then it will lead you to salvation. That's a formula. Sorrow plus repentance equals salvation. Sorrow plus repentance equals salvation. 2 Corinthians 9 7. I'm 7-9 through 10, sorry. I love that verse. I don't know how I missed that verse so many years ago. I've been studying the Bible for many, many years. I'm thinking like, how did I miss that verse? It was so clearly put in a simple sentence. Sorrow plus repentance equals salvation. It's that simple. You don't have to light a candle. You don't have to go to church every Sunday. You should. Because you're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a habit of some is, but re- and you should get together all the more as the time draws near. And you can look at this world, read the newspaper, turn on the news, and you know the time's drawing near. That's all there is to it. We're going to skip over to verse 20. I might come back. I might come back to that next week or the week after to uh, explain more about the wineskins and about the the uh, patch. But we, we're going to skip down to verse 20 right now. This is the woman. This is all happening. Jesus is really, really moving here. A lot is happening. Now, Matthew's gospel is, is not in... In chronological order, just so you know that. I think Matthew put this all together so that he could clearly, in a few chapters, even in chapter ten or eleven, and eight, nine, and ten, you know, I think he put them all together so that that you could really understand what a miracle is and why it was given, why Jesus did them. To identify himself so that you would identify him. And here it is 2,000 years later, and people still are identifying Jesus as the Messiah because of the miracles that he had done. Nobody refuted any of the miracles he's done. Okay, and suddenly, verse 20 of Matthew chapter 9, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. And she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well." She had a flow of blood. According to Leviticus 15, verse 19, this is a menstrual flow. It made her unclean. The other Gospels, you know, Matthew, Matthew Mark, Mark, and Luke fill in more information than Matthew did here. But here, it's a flow of blood, it's a menstrual flow. She was considered unclean. She wasn't allowed to be in it, but like a leper, she was ostracized from, from the community. Mark tells us and Luke tells us that that she's been in this sickness for 12 years. They also tell us that she's been to all the doctors. They also tell us that she spent, she, her condition grew worse after going to these doctors. It also tells us that she spent all her money. She's been in it for 12 years, she's been to doctors. Conditions grew worse. She spent all that she had on it. Mark tells us that, Mark 8.43 tells us, as soon as she touched Jesus' garment, the flow stopped. That quick. And she knew it. She didn't undress herself. She felt it in her body. And I know a lot of times when God does a miracle, you can feel it. You can feel it when he touches you. And Jesus, Jesus touched, turned around, and he says this according to Mark eight, forty six. Who touched me? Well, the disciples are declaring, there's people all crowding in all around you, and you want to know who touches you? Now there was there's different kinds of touch. Do you see this? She had a touch of faith. They were just crowded in, maybe pushed into him. But she had a profound faith, faith that moves mountains, 12 years in this sickness. She's poor now. She's probably living under a bridge, if there were bridges in those days, which I doubt. That's what we would say today. She's living under a bridge. She's homeless. She spent everything. She don't have any more money. She can't even get a job because she's unclean. Who touched me? Jesus felt the power leave him. You know why? Because of her faith, profound faith that actually Jesus could feel the power left him. She came to him trembling. She didn't want to tell everybody that she had a menstrual flow for 12 years. But Jesus actually forces this out of her. He wants you to confess, confess before him what your need is. And that's what she do. She had to declare to the crowd what you'll see it as we go along. She had to de- declare to the crowd why she touched Jesus. And you know what? By her doing that, the crowd's rejoicing because they probably knew she was that, un- that unclean woman. And they're probably rejoicing. That's the lady. That's the, the one that's unclean. Look at her. She's healed. Praise God. And they can see the miracle taking place. And then you have Jesus identifying himself and, and through this. I'm going to call him at this point. This is the arm of the Lord moving. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Jesus is the arm of the Lord on earth moving here today. And you're going to see some more as we, as we move on. The arm of God, also called the branch in Ezekiel. And Jeremiah, he's the branch of God, the arm of the Lord, healing people in the land. And they should have known that. The Messiah is the arm of the Lord. He's the right hand of God. You know Jesus stands at the right hand of God when Stephen was martyred. He's standing. He's the right hand of God, not the left hand, the right hand. Your right hand man, if you're a business owner, your right hand man is the guy that can run your company if you get take sick or, or, or go on vacation. Jesus is the arm of the Lord on earth today, and that's what this miracle is demonstrating who He is. Miracles are a supernatural activity that demonstrate or reveal a spiritual truth, and that truth is Jesus is the arm of the Lord. He's the Messiah at work here. He, she came forth trembling, and verse 37, 47 of Mark 8. She came forth trembling. She declared to all the people and Jesus, what she had done. She declared not, not just to Jesus, to everybody. She had to declare her sin. And the reason, she did it. She was healed immediately, according to Mark eight forty eight. She was healed immediately. She didn't say, well, Uh, it's going to be a slow healing, you know, it's going to be 12 months from now you'll be totally healed. No, she was healed immediately because of profound faith, which I think the church needs today, and I need. Profound faith that moves mountains. Faith. When Jesus comes back, will he find faith in me? Will he find faith in you? Faith that moves mountains? We get all kind of controversies on this in the Christian church. I believe God can heal immediately if He wants. I believe God can do anything He wants as long as it lines up with His Word, and that's true. if you have one inch of doubt, then you need to work on that, because God can do it. I'm convinced of it. If if He couldn't do it, why is James 5.14 put in the Bible? You know, uh, if any of you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let him lay hands on him and, and anoint him with oil, and the and his sins will be forgiven and he will be healed. Why is it even about? Take it out if that ain't true. It's true, because God wanted it. The problem is us. We need to ha- our faith needs to grow. Our faith needs to grow into that mustard seed tree. And by the way, everybody says, well, the, the birds of the airs can lodge. Log in the mustard seed tree because it's the smallest of the of the um, r- herbs. It's a small seed of an herb, okay, and it grows into a mustard tree. But it says that the birds come. You know what the birds most of the time represent in the Bible? The devil, evil. So when you do grow into a big tree, mushroom a, m- a mustard t- tree, and the birds come and they're trying to put doubt into it all the time. We got to get rid of that doubt. Doubt cancels faith. And I don't know how we could drive it home anymore, but even in the Christian church, you know, you know, people like me, I get flack over that. But I'm sorry, I'm not changing my view because I believe God can raise a dead person right in front of you. I've heard it from missionaries, as I told you earlier. I've heard missionaries tell me that they laid hands on the on the dead and people ro- rose up in Africa. I think it was Ivory Coast that that was done in her Bikina Faso. Yes, and I believe it. We can't have faith. This woman had profound faith. She she wasn't even allowed to be in this crowd. Do you realize that? She didn't care. She had one focus. was touched the hem of his garment. And maybe I'll get away with it. But Jesus immediately caught her. How she was healed? Immediately. Here's what Jesus said in verse 48 of, of Mark 8. Daughter... Did you realize what he just did here? He just exalted this woman from a uh, being ostracized by the world. He just identified her as his daughter. Oh my goodness! Look at this. It's like Jesus. We learned last week when when he went in to raise the the um, the, the um, daughter of Jairus, and he and, he, and one well, Matthew says he said. Uh, wake up or open your eyes, and he opened an eye. But Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus had more sentimental, more mercy, more compassion. He said, my little lamb, I say to you, arise. And that's what he's doing here to this girl. He's saying, daughter, daughter, be of good cheer. He's calling her a daughter of, of Jesus Christ. You know, you women out there, you're daughters of Christ. And us men, we're sons of Christ. It's a, it's an honor. It's a privilege. He's uh, immediately exalting her before all these people, and and uh, and and declares her faith. Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith, your faith. This lady had no doubt. She had a faith above most people. Jesus only a few times said, "I marvel at." faith. And both of those times in the Scripture is actually a Gentile. He marveled in the faith of a Gentile. She knew that if she touched Jesus, she, then he would be unclean. Do you realize that? he knew She knew that if she touched these people in the crowd, which she obviously did, they would be unclean. And if she touched Jesus, he would be unclean. But remember, in Matthew chapter eight, Jesus laid his hands on a leper, and a crowd went, "Oh, oh, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? He's going to get leprosy and die." Jesus, no fear and love. There's no fear in love. This, this, our Lord Jesus loved the leper. Our Lord Jesus loves this woman. Now if he's calling her a daughter. He's exalting them. You know, he's exalting. So. If her faith so that we, today, can grasp this and have faith that moves mountains. And fear will stop your faith. If she would have allowed that fear of touching the crowd or touching Jesus, it would have stopped her and she would have continued maybe another 12 years or even until she was dead in that hemorrhaging. This woman had faith. Many people touched Jesus and were healed all through the Scriptures. They, he didn't just touch them. They touched Him. Let me show you some passages. Matthew 14, 34 through 36. Uh, six. At Gennesaret, they brought those who were sick and begged Him that they might only touch the hem of His garment. That's what the thing All they want to do, they say, Jesus, you don't even have to... Just look at the faith of these people. You don't even have to lay hands on me. If If you just... If I just touch you, if I touch you, I'll be healed. Wow. You know why? Because Jesus is identifying himself as the arm of the Lord here. Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah, or Zacharias 3, eight. Behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. And that's what God, this is who this is. This is the branch. If you read your Old Testament, you'll see the B's always capitalized, which tells you it's a reference to Messiah. Okay, or God. If they just touched the hem of His garment, obviously, either the woman knew that these other people were doing it, but she probably instigated this thing. People probably said, "Well, the lady just touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed." So they just said, "Jesus is coming to her area. Let me just touch His garment." You see how the news is traveling. If Jesus would, if he wouldn't, told people to keep it down about who he was. He wouldn't have been able to even get anywhere near a city because the crowd would be so big. And that's what made the scribes and the Pharisees so jealous. Mark three, ten and 11, For he healed many, so that as many as afflictions pressed about him to touch him, and the unclean spirit, even demons left, and unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he warned those demons and sternly and said that they should not make him known. Whew, man. This is powerful stuff, the Scriptures. It makes me want to go out and lay hands on the sick so they can recover. But I mean, really. we are got to have this kind of excitement and zeal for the Lord. You know, when I was studying yesterday, when I came to the part where the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment, now, the Holy Spirit fell on me. I began to speak in other tongues as I would pray, and I'm there, Lord, Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and I never got no answer. I think I see the answer now through the excitement of it. You know, I, I could feel the Lord in the room. I could feel His presence, and I love to feel that when I'm putting the message together. And what He's saying is, keep, you know, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping the faith. Now, there are other things that will not just doubt can can, uh, you know, cancel faith. There's other things. Unbelief. Unforgiveness. So just don't think I'm talking about it. There's things that may, may we, ha- we may have to get rid of to have this profound faith. Like the lady didn't care if she touched the people. She figured, hey, I'll get healed. And if they do get unclean because of me, he, he can heal them. That's how she figured it out, I'm sure. And Luke 6, 19, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. He healed them all. Jesus Christ never says no at all, as I see through the Scriptures. Verse 21, If only I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. But... But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said... See, Jesus knew exactly who it was that touched him. He looked at her. He saw her. He said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. So, you know what this tells you? The arm of the Lord can heal when doctors can't. So, if you have a disease or a sickness or anything, the doctors can't figure it out. Even you manna can't spend all this money on it or your Social Security runs out or whatever it is. You know know what? You can always go to Jesus. You should have went to Him first because it only takes a moment. It only takes a moment to offer a prayer up in faith to God. And then you call the doctor, or you could be calling the doctor while you're talking to God, but go to Him first. He heals when professionals can't. This is the arm of the Lord, and it takes only a moment to call out to Him. The tassels on Jesus' garment were four. There was only four tassels on the garment. They were on each corner, and they had blue in them. And the blue color represented the Word of God. That's what I got from studying commentaries and looking this up. The tassels were blue in color, probably not all blue, but the blue represented the Word of God that means every time the jew put on his his cloak with the four tassels on he was to remember the word of god constantly and that's what we need to do today the blue and the tassel represented the word of god she on the other hand knowing she never thought for one moment that Jesus would felt the power would feel the power leaving her. She wanted to know. She was almost like stealing a blessing or stealing a healing. But Jesus, you know, wants you to know who does it. It's Him that does it, and He wanted the crowd to know this. He didn't want to just come out there and say, "I'm the Messiah." He came out there demonstrating. Identifying himself as the Messiah by the miracles which he did. I, I copied this from, uh, from uh, Dyke. I don't know if you know Dyke, but he's a commentary guy. From, he, he was born about 1900, died about 1985. I have a Bible that was given to me. Fantastic. This guy spent his entire life with this Bible. It's called the Dyke Bible. In that Bible on this, it says, Ten Steps in Her Healing. I want to read them to you. Ten steps of her healing. Number one, her desperate condition. Number two, she spent all she had. Number three, she tried human remedies. No help. She heard about Jesus. Number five. Number six, she planned her procedure. She had this all planned out. When Jesus is coming, I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. That's her. She planned this all out. This was premeditated. This woman knew Jesus was coming, and she was going to get healed one way or the other. Profound faith. Number seven, she exercised her faith by going through the crowd, touching people, and even touching Jesus. And number eight, she instantly was healed. Number nine, she knew she was healed. She knew it. Not only was she instantly healed, she knew she was healed. It was put into her spirit. And I know people that w- were healed, and they feel the spirit come upon them, and they said, I'm healed. I'm healed. I know I'm healed. And they were. And then she knew her, she was healed. And number 10, the unfailing law of God, which says that, you know, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins, He heals all your diseases, and He saves your life from the pit. It's, it's All the blessings of the Old Testament are, are available for us today. Remember, she was ceremonially unclean. She, she did not want to draw any attention to herself. Being a crowd in a crowd of people, it was embarrassing, but she did it anyhow. But she didn't expect to be caught. Why did Jesus know? Well, Jesus noted that the power was run out, and he and he called her out on it. He knew power went out, and why? I got some reasons here. So that she would know he healed her, she would not have to worry about it coming back next week or next year. Jesus wanted to know her to know he healed her. Number two, so others would know that she was healed. B, because of the ailment was private. This ailment was private, but God wanted it to be known. Jesus wanted it to be known. Number three, so she she and the crowd would know she was healed by faith. And not to think she stole it from Jesus. She was healed by faith. And that's for us today. She didn't she wanted to steal it, but Jesus wanted her to know, wants us to know. It was by her faith. Even though she had maybe that kind of a motive. I don't know if I would call that a motive. So she number four. So she knew Jesus did not want her to hide from him. You know he he was looking at her. Who stole? Who has uh, gone out from me? Who touched me? And he was looking directly at her, according to Luke. So she couldn't even deny it. Why would she want to? She felt that she was healed. She couldn't hide it from him. Number five, she did it so the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, Jairus, who was approaching, okay, he, he did it so the ruler of the synagogue would see the power of Jesus, giving him the faith that his daughter could be raised from the dead. See, Jairus was most likely listening to this. He had just arrived, remember? He was talking, and then the woman came, and then now he's back to Jairus, but Jairus is watching this whole thing, which is building his faith. He did not bless her, giving her the honor. He, you know, he gave her the honor of the title. He used to call her daughter. Well, wouldn't you love Jesus to say son, daughter to you? Praise the Lord. That's a title that that was given to her and her alone for, from what I see in the Scripture, except the, the lady that was all bound up on the Sabbath in the synagogue. He called her a daughter of Abraham. But he's calling her here daughter which is exalting. In the healing here, we see the arm of the Lord, which is Isaiah 53.1, the arm being the branch, Zechariah 3.8, the arm being the branch which was to come, Zechariah 6.12, Isaiah four 4.12, Jeremiah 23.5 and 33.15. In the healing, we see the compassion of Christ. We see the power of Christ. We see the arm of the Lord. We see Him. It's loud and clear who this guy is. And his power was gone out of him as a response to her faith. And we have to have faith. What faith can do is amazing in a person's life. But you have to know that this Jesus is the branch. He's the arm of the Lord. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's El Shaddai. He's El Elion. He's El Shema. He's El, El Rophe. He's He's El Tidkanu. He's El Elroy, and He's El Shaddai, all powerful. That's who Jesus is. These two chapters just should make your should just blow your mind as to who Jesus is. And if it don't, you're as blind as a bat, because Jesus Christ is Lord. There is none other and if you want him as your Savior, if you want him to call you a daughter or a son of God, then you need to do what the, the scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 7 9 and 10 which says that re, let's see that sorrow plus repentance equals salvation. Simple formula sorrow, plus repentance equals salvation. So if you want to be saved, go to the kingdom of heaven. You need to be sorrowful to repentance and you will receive the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. All you got to do, pray with your heart to the Lord. I don't need to lead you in a prayer. You know, you need to just bow your heart before him and speak from your heart, not from your head, because your head, God don't care about your head. God looks, don't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So, with all your heart, just ask him into your heart and you will be saved and you must repent and be sorrow, repent, and you will have eternal life. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. Your word so gorgeous, so beautiful, Lord. No wonder Jeremiah said, their words were found and I did eat them and they became the joy and the delight of my heart. Lord, we need to ponder. We need to meditate. We need to memorize your beautiful word. And as we do so, We'll be looking at the face of our Lord Jesus Christ because He is the Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless the church. I love you all. I mean that. Don't forget Saturday.